You are listening to Net Talk Night Job Podcast. Okay. All right. All right. Four episode nine. Nine. Okay. So there's something I wanted to let you know about. Yeah. Guess what number episode this is? Fifty. Fifty, baby. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why I know about, why I, I could guess this is because we were talking about it. Yeah, I thought it's actually a fiftieth episode. I mean, wow. if you take away like one bonus episode that we did. Yeah. So this is our fiftieth official episode. Wow. In fact, it's even. Um, I would say like um, our podcast hosting site actually took out one of our episodes I believe yeah 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 he said because so. of copyright issues yes so maybe we would have been celebrating 50 earlier but yeah, yeah. not the okay. best we mm-hmm. are 50 at least we made it we made it to 50 <laughs> baby so that means we'll close the season at 51 episodes overall okay 51 actual episodes so we've tried yes we have that's, that's, you know, that's like yeah, two seasons yeah. of uh, our friends so many people <laughs> <laughs> you know when you look at it that way <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> yeah you know the Put a lot of effort into yes, we do, and, yeah. especially Myra on his end because Myra can kind of put the whole thing together, he, he arranges everything. And this is so, and Azuka is our super producer, yeah. so most, <laughs> of, most of the ideas, the people we interview, everything we do, Azuka is what arranges everything. So, yeah. we're working well as a team, yes, yeah, so he's working well as a team. Fantastic, yeah. okay. So, what's up? This episode is an interview episode, yes, and we are speaking to someone who lives with sickle cell. Mm. someone close to us i wonder if it's just say yes i'll say close to us yeah definitely. and then the, the person agreed to speak to us about how life is and i you know the funny thing is i didn't even know some of the terms they call it hbss hbbs <laughs> I, I, do, I think that's what it's the, uh, and so i found that out in this episode and everything so if you know someone or if you if you come across someone having this condition i think she's the person spells it out as a disorder there's some things you need to know Mm. so you get a few of them from this episode about conditions you know atmospheric conditions and things that they do and they don't do to manage the disorder so it's very educated i think i think yeah i think it was very insightful for me i think it's probably one of the if not the best interview episode that we that we've had Mm mm-hmm I'm just really appreciate you know the person. We are trying to keep her name, yeah, um, private as well. Keep but your my wife's name out, <laughs> <job. laughs> uh, I mean, but it's just you know the emotional, yeah, um, um, task of dealing with you know um, such a condition and a lifelong condition basically, yeah. and the emotional, physical, yes. mental, all the toll that Medical, it has on, yes. on a person, and it just makes you even appreciate. Um, you know, or respect people going through that. It just makes you appreciate life more yeah, as yeah. well. Yes, you yes, know, very true. Yeah, when you're having that back thing, whatever, yeah, man, it's not sickle cell. I'm telling you, <laughs> some, of the, some of the things that you you, you say, ah, man, this is the worry, man. Yeah. You, you take it for granted. It happens um, to on other people yeah, on a daily on basis. Daily basis. Yeah, multiple. All right. So I mean, we interview someone who 
That's a good sell. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll just let you guys listen. And as we always say, uh, please make sure to continue the conversation on all our social media platforms, yes. whether it's Facebook, yes. Instagram, yep. TikTok, mm-hmm. and Twitter. Yes. Or X, as it's called now. Yeah. Everything at Network Niger Podcast. Exactly. So enjoy the interview. All right. See y'all. All right. So just go ahead and introduce yourself. Good afternoon, everyone. I am someone that is living with the disorder of sickle cell anemia, also known as uh, HBSS. I am a community manager. I'm also a fashion stylist, and I also have experience in personal assistance. And it's been... (laughs) The journey has been somewhat sharp, but I just thank God that His grace has been sufficient for me, and I am still here. Mm. till this time so i mean if you if you are comfortable enough to share like do you do you want to tell us how old you are so we have a like an insight into how long you have been living with this okay. condition i can't exactly say my age but okay just say are you in your early 30s <laughs> late 20s your late teens yeah? um past my 30s actually so okay it's been a long while. Okay, do you, like maybe just so that we have some more insight for people who are listening, because not everybody that is a medical professional or something mm-hmm. like that. Like, when did you first know or come into the knowledge that okay, you have sickle cell? Okay. Yeah. So it actually started in primary school. Uh, the first knowledge I had about it was in primary one. Going back now, I can remember that incident i was um in my class in primary one and my parents both came to take me from the class and uh, they took me to a hospital then um the popular hospitals that were really working then were these uh, lafia hospitals and um i was examined giving some liquid medicine col- the colors were transparent pink and yellow i remember that vividly i think i also got a shot that day and um i think i went back to school after that or they just took me home so preceding that i started getting this um crisis they usually came in the night it's it's a terrifying experience somebody that hasn't experienced it won't understand what i'm talking about but People that are in the same shoes with me know exactly what I'm saying. So it's it's kind of like somebody using a rope to to you know tie your joints mm. tightly and then use a hammer to persistently hit you at those points in your body. So that's what it feels like. You can't imagine it, but I get so it's very it's very then when I was in primary school it was very terrifying it was excruciating i was crying shouting loudly on the bed Mm. and my father being the superman that he was my father is or rather was my hero because he was there for me all through i was my father's handbag (laughs) most people say they are close to their mothers and their mother's handbag but my father he i was his handbag he took me everywhere when I was sick, my father would showed up. So when those bouts came in the night, he would come to my room where I am 
after giving me drugs to drink then he'll proceed to rub me with rub because that mm. relieves it he'll he'll rub the joints to ease the pain and he will not leave my side until i had fallen asleep it's only when i had fallen asleep that i had you know respite from that pain and the crisis, the crisis. so he was quite extraordinary he was the one that he was in fact he was the only one that took care of me anytime i was ill while he was still alive so from then on i noticed that when i got into let me say secondary school yes i think the later parts of my secondary school days it began to reduce but primary school it was every day you can imagine somebody going through that pain every, every day. day wow so it began to reduce as i entered uh, senior secondary and um the funny thing is that when people it's not actually a funny thing because i didn't really like it but when people saw me they like oh you are hbss too that's if i met my fellow um people with the condition yeah people with the disorder so uh so yes so we'll just you know talk and all that and you can easily know this by the the um, color of our yeah, eyes especially the jaundice yeah. that is always present and some of us have this um slim body so people that you know will just know okay yes this person is hbss yeah and all but that. i mean we'll get to the point of you know the experience of living with with it especially as you are approaching adulthood okay but I'm, I'm still curious because you said primary one primary one yes so what i'm saying is that so from like uh, when you were born up until prim- before you had your first episode in primary one you didn't have any idea that you had this no episode. i didn't because then before primary one i was in nursery one to three and mm-hmm. I didn't know that. So, it yeah, was so the first time the symptoms manifested was yes. when you were in primary one. Yes. So you're probably well, maybe like four, six. okay, no. like six years yeah. old. So from zero to five, nothing. Yeah. So no. six. Yes. But what I'm saying is that before your parents took you to Lafayette Hospital, like, um, what did they what did they think it was? Like what is it was when they took you to Lafayette, I'm guessing you were diagnosed, right? No, they already knew because Oh, my they mom, already knew. Yeah. Oh, okay. They already knew because my mom told me that um, when she gave birth to me, the doctors noticed that I had um yellow skin mm. because sometimes it's also prevalent in the skin, especially when that person is a newborn. Okay. So they noticed I had yellow skin and I had yellow eyes and they told her that um I have jaundice and they have to do a treatment on me now this is a baby that was just not even up to a month old so she agreed so they took me from her and took me to another room the doctor came in closed my eyes with a black um what do i call this now a black cloth okay yes they put lights on me and nobody else was in the room you know, at that time, the technology was not what it is in hospitals now. Yeah. So immediately they did that. They all ran out of the room. But my mom said that she stayed there, that that was Are her child. Serious? Yes. That she stayed there, that that was her child, and she was not going to leave. They were telling her to go, Madame, leave. They said, she said, no, that I cannot. That is my child. So she stayed there while that thing was on me. I can't remember for how long it was. So when it was over, then they now came. 
removed the clots and handed me back to her. That was a treatment then. So they already knew and they, you know, were, should I say, prepared for the journey ahead and they were already taking steps to make the experience more bearable for me. Okay. And yeah. Okay, I mean, I, do, I guess they must have done some tests, maybe check your blood type or things like that. Because I know that it's very common for babies to have jaundice. Yes. Uh, when they are born. And now, I, I mean, I don't know, maybe UV light didn't exist then. Yes. But usually, you know, they put them in the UV light yes. now. At least for some days. And it usually clears up. But, you know, I mean, that's a scary thought. That the fact that if your child has jaundice, there's a potential that that could be a sickle cell <laughs> child. But I guess if you already know your blood type or yeah. your xenotype, whatever it's called. Your genotype. Genotype, sorry. Then you probably know the potential that it is not or, or what it is so okay so i mean i don't even know whether knowing or not knowing is better because i know it is knew, better no no you know why i'm asking because if they knew already that oh when she was born she had this condition and of course i'm sure the doctors would have educated you guys that people that have this condition will eventually start to experience crisis yes so i'm just saying the waiting can kill you now <laughs> as opposed to if it just happens and then you now discover yeah but throughout your life from zero to six that means your parents were possibly anticipating that one day this thing is going to start so i'm just trying to imagine the stress that they would have probably i mean sometimes they'll forget life will continue yeah but i'm sure once in a while maybe you fall down they'll say ah has he started or so I'm just trying to remember the stress as a prayer because you know I have kids. I'm just wondering, just imagine. <laughs> Will I want to know that oh one day this guy is going to be sick? So I don't know. I'm just trying to process it as a parent myself. Yeah, it's better to know actually. I mean, yeah, of course. It prepares you, you think so because it prepares you and all. But I'm just saying at the same time. Yeah, I get the you get you get the <laughs> It's like there are pros and cons, but this tray exactly just imagine that oh when is it going to happen I hope it's not when she's on a bike oh or yeah i get, get, get the point i'm trying to make yeah so i mean just something i think so i mean thanks for sharing so you you didn't know until i mean you knew obviously and then you're six you had your first crisis and then it was really bad and then you, so like what's the as you now approach teenage so you are starting to identify other people with the condition. Yes. Was so you can continue from there. Is that like a good thing? Is that like a? Does it make you feel better that oh you can form a group of people with similar condition? Did that help at all? Well, from the time I was in junior secondary, I think even late. Let me say late primary, junior secondary. My parents started taking me to. There's this hospital that is that's is that um what's the name of this place they had a, a special yes at Diaraba. there's the hospital that is there a big hospital there i'm trying to remember you know i can't recall now Lutz. Is, is it the Lutz? teaching hospital it's not Lutz. Is, oh, is okay. the, oh not the sickle cell foundation though is it the Sickle Cell yeah, Foundation is no, opposite. The, the Sickle Cell Foundation was inside that hospital. Then it hadn't blown to what it is now. That hospital then was what used to cater to the Sickle Cell Foundation. I will try and remember later, if I can, while this uh, podcast okay. is going on. So they took me to that hospital. And that was where we used to go to, you know, meet um, doctors that were specialized in the disorder we used to meet other parents and other children there. So they would sit us down, they would have talks, 
tell us this is what happens this is what doesn't happen they even gave my parents a booklet then <laughs> yeah <laughs> so they gave us a booklet then that contained everything we should expect what to do what not to do and all that so we started going for i think it was on saturdays yes so we started going for those um should i i don't know what to call it classes well, or like so. counseling yeah mm. counseling sessions and all that so from there you know we 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 got um better informed don't go out when uh, the weather is cold mm. make sure you wear your sweater wear your socks if you stay out too late you begin to get stressed and it can lead to crisis and all that so those sessions helped and all that and then you said identifying with other people well yes it was quite um i won't say <laughs> i would say an eye opener because i was i for even up to now i'm like why am i like this why am i the only person different especially in my family i'm like well this is a this is a, a raw deal to give somebody mm -hmm. like you're the only different person you're the only person that experiences their frequent illnesses so when i saw other people that had seemed or that i was like okay the other people out there good or bad but at least i know that i'm not alone in this journey and i know that um uh, there are things that i can do to you know make myself more healthy and prevent the mm. crisis from happening more often so um after that i started to know my triggers it is quite interesting to know that um, not only being cold can trigger a crisis also okay. when you are hot like you're sweating you're feeling Extremes. hot there's no light and <laughs> you are really <laughs> this thing, it can trigger <laughs> it can really, it really trigger a crisis and i was like okay don't get too hot don't get too cold just be in the middle and um whenever you're going out take your your drugs so that in case anything happens you can just get water easily drink your drugs to you know forestall it and it is crazy that this thing can happen anywhere at any time especially then in my younger days so i was like okay i know that um this works for me this doesn't work for me especially drugs the the the, the pain is so intense that paracetamol cannot do anything for you okay my family knows that ah don't just don't bring paracetamol near me i'll use it <laughs> to i'll I try to side the dustbin because that's like licking sweets for <laughs> for something so painful and intense so then when um fensic was still in the market my 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 dad used to buy me a packet of fensic that used to last me for quite a while so i know that and fensic is really although it's a spring but it was really powerful so it used to work for me then then um as time went on fancy got phased out i had to start looking for other options i got um introduced to there's this drug um i can't remember the name now it's pink in color it's Is a it painkiller no not dicoflenic like that one came much later on but this one is is pink it had a, a a popular name i used to use that even when i'm going to school like when i was going to uh, university i had to take packs of that because i know that it's I not an approxy. i no, it, i think it had an s either an s or c name i can't remember the name of the drug now it was pink in color so i used to take that so 
I had to, you know, um, prepare myself for any eventuality, try my best to um, forestall any any triggers and all that. So, oh, is it ibuprofen? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> you think, got think, it. Think, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Real fast. I was just like, <laughs> that's like okay. That should have been my first guess. Okay. Sorry. Go yes, ahead. Yes. Ibuprofen. You got it. So I used to use that after fencing, and then um, for some reason I stopped using that, and now I had to uh, start taking the clofenac. And the clofenac, yes, we are told that it's not a good drug to be taken all the time because mm -hmm. of what it does in the body but ah man you are in pain you will <laughs> die <if> you, <laughs> you will die if you don't drink it you have to drink it so that you can get instant relief i mean when you drink that thing before five minutes it's gone so the only time for now that i you know have this um bouts and all that is when um on my period that's the only time i have crisis so it only comes like once a month on like the former days when it was every day mm. and um it was now like every two weeks or like that so what can we do now we just have to you know take something to ease that pain but you take it when there's pain right not yes like just when like there's pain not just not okay. just like that okay. i can use um aspirin and others for headache but that diclofenac, I, I must take it for the crisis because <laughs> it won't relieve me. Okay. Yeah, so. I was going to say, is there any danger of getting addicted to all these, um, what do they call them? Pain relievers. Yes, painkillers. Yes. Uh, yes, it all depends on the individual. Like, for me, I'm very disciplined. If I say I want to stop using this or I want to stop using that, I know that I'm disciplined enough to take that decision and I won't go back on that decision. So it depends on the individual. If the person is somebody that I, I can't do without this thing, no, I can't do without that thing, then the person continues to take it constantly. But for me that I am, you know, should I say strong-willed, I, I can control certain things in my life and I know that once I make a decision in a certain thing, I can stop it or I can limit the usage of it. Yeah. I mean... I'm just to also add, like, so things, all, all the um, um, is like a class of uh, painkillers that they call non steroidal, anti inflammatory, yes. whatever. So, that they always tell you don't take it on an and empty says, stomach yes. because it can cause ulcer. And it's also, if you take it too long, it can damage your liver, kidney, whatever. Anyway, so the those kind of drugs, not that you can't get addicted to them, but I think it's more about the fact that maybe you can get, you can start tolerating them more than the average person yeah. so when you have pain um that is supposed to be enough to cure it might not cure it anymore so you might start taking higher doses or whatever but in terms of addiction it's a good thing i don't know if they something they prescribe for people with sickle cell but assuming they are giving us something like tramadol or dihydrocodine the opioid ones those are the ones that really have high risk of uh, addiction because they are molecular whatever is close to like uh, morphine or okay. that's heroin or whatever so those are the ones that I usually but doctors will usually be very careful before they place you on those ones especially for someone who has sickle cell that they know will have to use it for a long time so usually the risk of addiction for this kind of drugs is 
you still know if it was a opioid analgesic uh, hair then you'll be worried but it doesn't mean you can't have discipline or whatever but those ones have a higher risk of of addiction yeah so okay so i now want to delve into you know growing up and how impacted you you've talked about how identifying with other people with similar conditions is helpful but like generally growing up especially the teenage years you know those years when you started looking at boys hmm. and things like that oh god <laughs> oh god oh god and just no even <laughs> apart from like things like that like just your f- playing with friends in general like yeah i'm sure you won't be able to do like everything that the hmm. average person would do so how number one start from how, is it, how did they affect friendships then also how did they affect potential relationships yeah okay hmm. <laughs> uh i just remember something so let me just point it out when we used to go for those sessions at um that hospital at Idiaraba, then i think yes then my father was late it was just my mom so there was a particular day i went by myself and um the people with this other went one by one to talk to the doctor that was um, on ground that day. So it was a woman. So when I got to, when I got to my phone, I went to her office. She asked me my name. I told her, you know, I was just talking to her, answering her questions and all that. She said, do you know one thing I like about you? One thing I noticed is that you don't look down on like your fellow people that are also suffering the disorder that when you are talking to them their face is down is on the floor that they cannot look at the person they are talking to she's now said she asked them why they do that and they said it's because their eyes are yellow and they don't want people to be you know looking at them making fun of them mm. and all that okay. but she likes how no matter what condition i am in i am still bold enough to talk to anybody to you know answer anybody and not feel ashamed or look down and i was like wow i didn't even know that other people were you know on um, talking to other people with their face on the ground i i talk to anybody they look at me they know and all that and i'm like fine well it's not my fault so um concerning the friendships and relationships hmm, i suffered though (laughs) 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 so i'll start with the friendships in secondary school, you know teenagers can be bullies. Yeah, yeah. Teenagers, ah, oh God, that face is terrible. Teenagehood in a person's life is terrible because, you know, you are coming to realization of yourself. Yes, I'm getting towards the age of being an adult. I'm realizing who I am now. You know, that kind of thing. I'm no longer a primary school age child that anybody can tell anything, you know. But it's terrible, especially with somebody that is with a condition that is of no fault of theirs they are you know suffering different emotions different feelings and then you're not adding to their pain it's quite terrible i must say that those teenage years were horrible concerning friendships uh, (laughs) 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 concerning friendships i was in a particular school and uh, okay let me start from my primary school my primary school was fantastic okay Yes, I was skinny, I had yellow eyes, everything then my primary school, but nobody, I can beat my chest and say nobody in my primary school made fun of me throughout my my, uh, my nine the, classes. The age of innocence. Uh, <laughs> still, people are still innocent and young. Yes, yeah, yeah, in primary school, right, there are right, some actually. mean children. It, 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 starts, hmm. it starts from there, but you know. 
So, throughout my nine classes, which is uh, nursery one to three and primary one to six, nobody made fun of me. They all took me like that. They all accepted me. Okay, this is how we live. Forget. Don't say anything. Just take her as a normal human being like you. That was... Primary school was my favorite phase of um, schooling because the other phases were just terrible. Then for secondary school, my early secondary school, just as one, nobody made fun of me, you know. There, people were just, you know, like chill, relax, nobody said anything. Then my GSS2, GSS3, it was still okay. It was still okay. People, when they when I pass, they see me, they just whisper among them, says, ah, see that girl, she's so skinny, her eyes are yellow, what do you think is wrong with her? Some people knew, some people didn't know, you know. You know that people are talking about you behind your back. When you pass, they look at you, they glance back and all that. Then SS1, <laughs> ah, Jesus, ah. Honestly, it was terrible. It was terrible. I, I pray that nobody ever experiences that. When I was in SS1, it was, I went to this particular school. I'm not going to mention the name, but it was like a rich kid kind of school. And, you know, those people can be brutal. So I was in class. I had a seat partner, also a fellow female. So they had this clique. You know, I'm not, mm -hmm. in quotes, normal like them. I'm not physically good looking like them and all that. So they had this clique and they used to, you know, move around in circles and all that. So they used to shun me a lot. They used to sideline me. When I talk, everybody keeps quiet. It's as if it was Ed that was talking and all that. So one day we were in class, I noticed that... Um, one girl like that in my class. I, I, I'm restraining myself from using particular words. <laughs> <laughs> One girl like that in my class. She started um, demonstrating how people in their circle walk. She was like, oh, this person walks like this, this person walks like that, walks like a princess, walks like a mother, and all that. She didn't mention any name, oh, but I knew it was me she was talking about. She now started imitating the way I walk. She now said... Started walking like that. Other people started laughing, and I looked at my seatmates because I was like, "Why are you laughing?" I didn't say that. I was just like, "Why are you laughing?" She said, "What? Am I the one that said it?" Go and face her, and I felt really bad because I was like, "This is somebody that's okay." We had a level of misunderstanding. Yes, I'm not your bef best friend. I'm not in your clique, but at least I'm your seatmate, mm. and you should give me that respect of. Like, yeah, it's yeah. not cool, uh, exactly, standing up for me, it's not cool to talk to her, um, about her like that and all that. And I felt really bad. Another incident from that class was when, when assembly one day, oh God, I've suffered. <laughs> when assembly one day and there's this guy, he's the brother to the girl that made fun of me. I think they said they are even twins or something, but he, he he's her brother. So... I was, you know, because of, I, I felt insecure. I still feel insecure about my physical appearance. So I was always at the back of the line in assembly. You know, we line up according to our class. So in my own classes line, I was always at the back so that I don't get seen, I don't get heard. Nobody gets to, you know, talk about me or bully me and all that. So he was also at the back of the line in his own class in a separate line. So we're now singing hymns and all that, and he 
just looks across at me, just sees me. He then says, "You God, look at her eyes. Her eyes are so yellow. And he was talking to his friends and they just looked at me and they were just laughing, making fun of me. I felt so bad. I was like, this ground should open up so that I can enter inside and everybody will forget about me. Honestly, it's even bringing tears to my eyes because those, that experience was quite bad. So he made fun of me. That, um, that day I went home. I was crying. I was telling my mother everything. I was like, ah, so what happened to me today? And you know, she and her... How I put it, own way try was trying to, you know, console me and tell me that, uh, you know, I should not mind them, that that's how t- people behave, they don't understand and all that. So it was quite a terrible experience. And um, there was a particular time as well when uh, somebody in my class, her, is it her father or her mother? One of her parents died, Sha. So everybody was consoling her and all that. And um, I told her, ah, I'm so sorry that you're, you know, you're, you lost a parent, that I know how you feel, it's terrible and all that. And they were like, um, okay, let's do this for her. They did something because that particular day, her um, flask, breakable flask got broken because somebody tossed her bag on the floor. So they all contributed money for her to make her feel better. I know everybody was just around her, surrounding her, trying to see things to make her feel better. And then there was something of mine that got lost that same week, but not that day. And I was expecting like, ah, they will contribute for me and, you know, buy the thing back and all that, but nobody even answered me. So that was another thing that made me feel. I was like, is it because of this disorder that People are just like treating me like nothing. They, they, I'm just like a ghost to them. People are not seeing me or something. So I felt really bad because these were people that I was in the same class with. And I was like, okay, count your losses and move on. And, you know, that's just life because people will not understand. They're not in your shoes. They don't experience what they're experiencing. So they will not understand. And moving on, after that, the subsequent classes, SS1 and SS2, I would say, <laughs> I also experienced something bad as well in SS3. Imagine your junior making fun of you because, you know, you're so skinny, you, you, you know, you have yellow eyes, everybody's just around you laughing and all that. And I was like, man, this is so bad. And nothing was even done to the junior. Nobody reprimanded her. Nobody told her that what she was doing was wrong and that she should stop and all that. So school was not, and especially secondary school, which was not an easy experience. It wasn't a pleasant one because I suffered. Even then, when I was in primary and secondary school in my neighborhood, that's not exactly where I stay, but mm. around where I stay. Anytime I go out, people make fun of me. They see me, they laugh. They call me in primary, ah, in secondary school. I call different names: broomstick, <laughs> toothpick. There's no name they did not call me. They, they, in fact, they, it was horrible. So that's the um, friendship uh, side of it. And before then before you move to the other side, do, do you have you are you in touch with any of these people today? If I'm in touch with the <laughs> make I bend. 
Have you, have you searched I any of them? I would rather on, die. Have you seen any of them like No, on and I don't want to see them. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because it was terrible. I myself know what it feels like to be different in quotes. So I cannot do that to a, a fellow person, you know, body mm, shame I, somebody, I totally, make, I totally get make you. I mean, we fun had a, of somebody an and all earlier that. episode uh, titled Bullying as well, where we, you know, dive deep into how you know we underrate the fact that bullying at the at that young age we just think that okay uh, you outgrow it but we 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 forget how it can and we've seen experiences of people years after people our age expressing the pain that they felt yes because this thing is 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 quite how will i put it it's deep Mm. it's not just something you can brush aside even an apology cannot erase what you made that person feel mm. it's it's if at all it goes away it takes years and there are some people it doesn't go away it, it stays with them with the rest of their life so it's not really something that people should be doing it's not a good feeling because if the tables were turned some of these people that are doing these things can't cope with what we're going through they can't take it mm. most of them will crumble at the early stages of their lives and i'm talking about mentally it is going to affect them but you know when those of us that are in this kind of situation what do we have to do we just have yeah. to you know steal yourself you know just how will i put it try to ignore them it's not easy but what can you do you have to move on so there are certain situations like the saying goes never mock a pain you've never felt hmm. never mock a pain you've never felt if you've not felt something you shouldn't make fun of that situation or that person because chances are 99% of the time if that person is in that situation or feels those things that person is not going to you know make fun of that situation again or even come out of that situation strong so these are the issues yeah yeah sorry about that okay D- you want to proceed to the other part yes let me proceed though. <laughs> mm. because this relationship aspect of it i was sure how will i put it again I was on the receiving end. Nobody will look at your face when you know. I I can how will I put it? Say that yes, I have a fine face, I have good looks and all that. But the you know African men like their women to be curvy. They like their women mm. to have shape and all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, those of you that like slim ladies are quite in the in the minority. You guys are few. So, but the thing is that you know when especially as teenagers. A guy sees a girl. She has to have certain physical attributes for make to make him attracted to her, mm-hmm. to even want to approach her and talk to her. And unfortunately for me, I was on the slim side. I still am. So guys did not approach me. None of them wanted to talk to me because I was not aesthetically pleasing to their eyes. Mm. So because of that, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't date until my later years. Okay. All those ones that people would say, ah, they got a love letter in secondary school. Mm. They dated in secondary school. I did not experience it though. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't experience it because nobody looked my way. I was not, you know, pleasing to them body wise. So they just went for the girls that, um, you know, they felt that yes, this this one has a shape I want. Let me approach her. Let me talk to her. But you see, this life is not only body that matters, or the brain matters too. But that's one thing they didn't know. They were just, and I don't blame them. They are teenagers, actually. Their hormones are ranging and all that. Mm-hmm. But 
that was just what they wanted at that time. So I, I don't begrudge them that. But the thing is, if you don't talk with somebody, you can't know if that person is intelligent or not. You, d- you don't know if that person can hold a conversation that is meaningful or not. Mm. So that was the the aspect of that relationship side for me. I wasn't approached or talked to by guys because they didn't like what they saw on the outside. And I didn't date, you know, early in life, like how some people do in secondary school. So it was much, much later on that I started dating, which was when I was in my university days. Okay. Yeah, so that's it. Uh, so give us some insight into that. So what? <laughs> we want <laughs> give us some insight into that. Like, okay, let me just just. So how did it feel when? So I'm guessing when you were in university, you had your first relationship. So how did it come about? Then how did it feel? Like was it unexpected? Was it somebody that was your friend and then it grew? Like and then when it eventually became a relationship, how did it make you feel? Well, it's it was quite unexpected because I like ah uh-uh, ah guy, do you have your eyes on when you need glasses? <laughs> <laughs> Are you not seeing what you see clearly? I was I was not expecting it because I was like, oh, you have an interest in me. Uh, I'm slim, oh, just take me like that. That was what was going on in my mind. But it was quite um this and at the same time, a refreshing change because you know being rejected is not something that is um, pleasing for anybody to experience no matter the situation so it was a welcome change i was like okay no wahala let's see how this goes so he he was somebody i met around i didn't know him from school just somebody i met him from you know around and then um we struck a relationship he just like me for one reason or the other and i don't know what that particular reason was because i'm this type of person especially in um this kind of relationship types of you know um ships i like to <laughs> <laughs> i like to know and i like to ask i would like i'm like why why do you like me i think mm. i asked him this question and i can't remember what he said i would like to know because there are different things that make me ask that question because of what i have seen what i have been through so i want to know what exactly it is so you know the 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 relationship he, he like i said he likes me for his own particular reason the relationship was going on everything was fine and all that and i'm sure people were like but but because he himself he's a looker he's not bad he's not bad looking so i'm sure his friends and everybody was saying like well, guy what are you doing with this girl this girl you should say this girl i your specs you know <laughs> you know that kind <laughs> of thing so it was quite interesting but that relationship did not last long because he cheated okay and um I'm the kind of person that when I'm in a relationship with you, it's just you, especially at that point in time. Mm. I'm not going to, you know, cheat. I'm not going to look at somebody outside and all that, except we've gone our separate ways and all that. But because of that, it didn't um, really last long. So I told him that we have to severe this relationship, find our, go our separate ways and, you know, just do what is best for us. Okay. 
So I'm guessing you've had a few relationships since then. Well, hmm. <laughs> the thing is that I don't know whether maybe <laughs> maybe men are scared of me. I don't know. No, but I'm saying even if it is one, two, three. After that, sincerely, no. Oh, really? So yes. you just had one, like one maybe serious, serious relationship. relationship. Yeah. Are you serious? Okay, because yeah. my next question was going to be, you know, how do you break the? I mean, yes, if people know about people who have sickle cell, they might be able to guess. But everybody might not know. They might just think, oh, she's just somebody that is slim. Yeah. I'm just like, if you were dating somebody and they didn't know at the start that, okay, you have sickle cell, like, how soon would you want to communicate that thing? Uh, how soon would you want to communicate it to them? Like, is it like in the first day or you just want to get to know the person first and then maybe later tell them? Like, how would you... I mean, I'm just asking, how soon do you think it's, yeah. it's, it's important to this share that This is a very kind of good question because this question you asked now just brought me back to a moment when I was in a relationship with that guy. Mm. So there's this day, there's this particular day, you know, we're just hanging out, we're so just sitting down, talking. And uh, should I say he... Hmm. Yes, he's he's you know me. I'm a hopeless romantic, and mm. he too was also on the romantic side. So anything a guy does that I because you know people have different interpretations of romance. Mm-hmm. So anything that a guy does for me that I like, that is you know on the romantic side of things, it makes me very how will I put? I I fall even harder for mm-hmm. that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. So there was this particular day that um, we're just talking, we're just sitting down. So he now said, um, I can't remember how we got to that point of discussion, but what he said was, even if it means that I'll have to donate blood for you, that I'll donate blood for you. And that really touched me because, you know, I'm a romantic person. I when somebody does or says something that is high up in my romance, you know, mm-hmm. indicator and all that. Ah, I, 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 how will I put it? It makes me feel so, I feel so, I don't know, giddy, should I say? I don't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. So that really touched me. I was like, ah, this guy is willing to donate blood for me. And the way he said it, I could see that he was serious about it. You know, there are some people that will say that type of thing, and you're just like, ah, yeah, you're just talking. <laughs> you're just serious. <laughs> you're lying. <laughs> you're lying. But he, he was very serious about it. And I, and I knew that if there and then, God forbid, that I had an accident and they needed blood, he would have donated. So... I think he had an idea that I was somebody suffering the disorder. Mm-hmm. He knew, you know, he, the, the telltale signs are there. Yeah. You can see it ahead. So I think maybe that was what made him say that and led him to, you know, make that comment. Okay. Okay, so he kind of deciphered on his own. Yes, he deciphered on, on Okay, his so own. he didn't have to tell him. Okay. So most times I don't have to tell when they see me, they just know. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> I, but I mean, I did it too. I was also surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I was also surprised when he said that ah, you, that you did. I said I don't know. Okay, this is that is like a signboard in my life. Ah, uh, 
Most people know. So the fact that, you know, you've only had one serious relationship, but I'm guessing, you know, maybe getting married and motherhood is something that you aspire for, right? Yes, definitely. Yeah. But so I'm just thinking like if you you know, God willing, you meet somebody, mm-hmm. like I'm just what how would you explain to the person what to expect? I mean, we thank God that the level of um or the level of incidences that you have has significantly reduced. Yes. Like you said, you only get it maybe like once a month yeah. now. So obviously it's very manageable. Yes. But I'm just saying, what is is there anything that maybe a potential husband would should be worried about? Because I know that one thing that will hinder I mean the perception or the general is like, ah, I can't marry because you know, I'll be taking care of the person. Mm. But from what you're saying now, it's very manageable. Uh, I'm guessing once you have your painkillers ready and all that but i'm just saying is there anything that somebody who is a potential husband has to be worried about beyond maybe just pain in a month is there anything maybe in the future that he needs to anticipate like i'm just trying to imagine that conversation with somebody yeah yeah, no, the, the thing is that um, those sessions we went for in that hospital they told us that as the person progresses in life the bouts become more or less as they get older, it's not like when they were younger, so there's less um, incidence of about happening except maybe the times that is quite mm-hmm. unexpected. And those unexpected times come when, um, well, for me, I don't really have unexpected times because I know that when, yes, I'm seeing my period, it is going to surely come. But outside my period, I'm fine. I can even sleep, like, like how will I put it? I can sleep in very cold environment environment and i will not have a bout that's how it is now for me i don't need to worry about that anymore so for a potential husband i'll say there's nothing to be worried about because i have passed the stage and age of um what's it called there's something they call it um of high risk yes i have passed the age and state of high risk because there are some people that don't make it to later on in their life because they didn't pass that stage ah, and that's st- okay. yeah so that stage is like from let me say six to 20s okay is high risk so once that person has passed that stage then you can be rest assured that the rest of the journey is somewhat easy peasy because you're no longer having frequent crises you're no longer having unexpected triggers you are now more informed you know what to do you know what to have so for a potential husband i'll say there's nothing to fear there's nothing to worry about i think the only thing i am afraid of now because even people that don't have this the women that don't have this this other their pregnancies that are complicated so that's the only thing i'm worried about you know a pregnant woman Everybody's praying that she delivers safely. She comes out of the delivery room alive. Her baby is alive and all that. But the things I am seeing about pregnancy for women that don't have this disorder <laughs> is... <laughs> I'm afraid, though, I won't lie. So coming to somebody like me that has this disorder, I always wonder, like, how is going, it going to be for me when I'm pregnant? Am I going to have complications? Are the pains that pregnant women go through going to be more pronounced because i have the disorder you know so that for me is the only concern for now but i feel that when i do pregnancy the right way you know go for my antenatal take the drugs the doctors give me 
you know, just take care of myself and do what is right when I am pregnant and anytime I feel that it will be a breeze. There will be no mm. um, issues and all that. So for a potential husband, I'll say there's nothing to worry about. Just, you know, when it comes like that once a month, just rub, rub on my body. Give me my... I <laughs> should. <laughs> 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 Just rub rub my body, give me my painkillers. After that, wear me my socks, cover me up, and within five minutes, I'm okay. okay. So there's no, there's no, um, how will I put it? Big thing to be worried about. Before you go, now, I want to ask because we're talking about expected things and unexpected things, but I know something happened to you not quite too long ago, about two years ago. <laughs> That's I was coming to that and I was okay, even coming good. to I was saying let me not forget this you know before this podcast is over. The, the, the only time I've ever visited the hospital. I don't know, should we treat this now or do you have more questions? No, no, go ahead. Okay. Uh, I won't forget, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One thing to know about me as someone with the HBSS disorder is that I have never been transfused. Okay. In my life, like since I was born. Related, I visited hospital on related issues and seen people with the disorder being transfused <laughs> or being admitted or this. So that's this is somewhat funny. I was on a group, a WhatsApp group, speaking with some people and they were talking about people with the HBS. Yes. Yeah. I was telling them, I know someone very close to me that has it. That don't worry, just give the person fruits, just <laughs> do this, just this. they were like, ah ah. I don't think you know what you're talking about. I said, I know what I'm talking about. I, say, <laughs> I said, they said, look, do you know how much they spend in hospitals? Do you know how many times these people go for tr- blood transfusion? I said, ah, let me just keep quiet too, because <laughs> I have never seen this experience it that bad. So I, I, maybe go on and give us some insight. Okay. So um, somebody living with HBSS disorder that has never been transfused, people find out quite interesting because like, are you sure? You have never been transfused. Maybe you didn't know when you were smart. I said my parents told me. Because they are the ones that gave it to me. So they know what happened to me at each time in the hospital. Whenever I went. I said I've never been transfused. Because most people that are living with this other this disorder have been transfused. They've taken blood. But me, and never in my life have I transfused. See, I'm talking to you today now. I have never taken another person's blood inside my body. And it's not like my PCV is always high or something. No, it's, it's, it's also low for people that are experiencing this other, as the usual case is. But I have never had the need of being transfused. There was even a hospital I went to one time, and uh, the doctor said, um, have you ever been transfused before? I said, no. He looked at me. He was shocked. He said... I, uh, do you know what you're saying? I said, yes, I know what I'm saying. He said, are you sure? I said, yes, I'm sure. He said, how is it that you've never been transferred? I said, sir, I don't know. So it's quite a shock to, especially people that have lived with the order, are living with this disorder, and people in the medical field, because they know it's like a routine for people to be transfused that are living with this disorder. They know that it's like something that they have to go through, they must go through it. But in my case, I have never been transfused. And people always find that fascinating. But, well, it is what it is. But because maybe quickly, before, just, I'm just curious, like, what's, what happens that will make somebody need blood? Is it just the level of PCV that is low because of a disease? Or 
is there some sort of um, bleeding that happens during a crisis why would they need blood okay so for people that are living with disorder most times when they get transfused is either the um their blood has dropped okay or they have an underlying illness apart from the disorder, disorder okay. which can be um what's this thing called what's this thing on the the wound that people have on their leg this so i mean sores no, no. lesions is it is it Diabetic yeah, I think diabetic sores, yes. Ulcers, yeah, ulcers, exactly. Uh -huh. Diabetic ulcers. So, you know, in our own case, it's more pronounced. Anything that has to do with somebody that is living with HGBSS is more pronounced. Even common cold, malaria. Okay, although my own malaria is mild, Sha, very, very mild. My own is more mild than somebody that is, has a, that is AS or AA. Okay. So my malaria is very mild. So... Either there's an underlying issue or their blood level has dropped or their okay, crisis so was so bad that they needed okay. you know, to transfer. Or if they have any kind of trauma, injury, they will exactly. probably bleed more than exactly. the average person. Okay, all right, understood. Okay, so, carry on. So, most times when I go for hospitals, they ask me, have you been transfused? I say, no, I've not been transfused. They're always shocked. There was a particular hospital. There was one time I felt ill. Then my father was late. It was just my mom. So... I had this, there was this time I was having this um, once in a while um, liquid dehydration. Okay. So, once this thing starts like this, uh, ah, it's terrible. I don't even know which one is worse, the crisis or the, the pain that comes from liquid dehydration. So, it starts at a corner of my stomach, the right-hand side of my stomach, and... Um, it's so painful that I have to be drinking water like almost every five minutes for me to get relief. So that one used to come once in a while. There was a time that it came, drinking water at home was not doing anything. It was not helping. So my mother had to take me to the hospital. So I went to the hospital around that first tax site. There was one hospital there. So we went. The doctor looked at me. He said, ah, you cannot go home today. My mom was like, ah, why? That she has never slept in the hospital before. She has never hus been hospitalized. She has never spent a day in the hospital. Her visits are usually in and out that same day. So he now told her that, ah, look, I've looked at her. I've seen her. She's dehydrated. This side of her tummy is swollen. I think it was uh, my spleen or something. So he said, you have to put you on drip. That if you can finish taking so-so bags of drip before the day ends, before we close, you can go home. But if you don't, you have to sleep over. So that was how. And thankfully, we went in the morning. So they started me with the first bag. I finished the first bag, the second bag, the third bag. I was feeling better. The pain was, you know, going down. I was able to even walk better because once that pain comes, I, mm. I'm hunched over. So at the end of the day, I left that hospital. I didn't sleep there. So that's another thing that we experienced uh liquid dehydration okay yeah so um, concerning um <laughs> three years ago yes uh, no it was last year yes oh last year so this incident in fact there uh, is just god when i when i when i see myself and see other um people that are in the same condition with me i'm just like hmm, i will 
I'm just like, you're blessed though. You're lucky. Because what these people are going through, one quarter of it, you're not going through it. Like there's somebody that was in the same class in me, with me in school, and um, I could see on her hand that she had a, a scar from a stitch she got in the hospital and she said uh, she didn't she didn't need to, to tell me but i already knew because we are both sufferers so i just knew it was from a blood transfusion so i am just lucky to not be experiencing what other people are going through because even now right now on twitter i know a lady that is also hbss she has this um she has this um leg ulcer she cannot move again. She's mm. now bedri- bedridden, yeah. And uh, it's she posts pictures of her leg, and it's so bad that the thing has, you know, really come up a bit, and she's always soliciting for funds so that she can go to the hospital, treat mm. herself and all that. And that is something I don't have to deal with. And I'm just saying this because God's grace is upon my life. God's grace is upon my life because if I am going through what these other people that my shoes are going through i don't know if i'll be alive today so i'm just grateful to god for his uh, grace upon me because my own journey is quite easy it's just a regular crisis i'm mm-hmm. not i'm not i'm not have, i have not been transfused most times they need blood i've never been transfused i don't have a leg ulcer that is not healing mm-hmm. they're in the hospital for one thing or the other some of them even come out to say that ah they had crisis so bad that they had to hospitalize. I was like, ah, uh-uh. is it up to that level that my own is not like this? So having crisis that you have to be hospitalized. Me, once I just drink my drugs, I cover up. The crisis goes and I'm mm. okay. I don't need to go to the hospital to, you know, get better because of a crisis. So I just want to say God's grace on my life is just <laughs> like, ah, uh, it's incredible. Honestly, it's incredible. <laughs> okay. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> she's been deflecting since. <laughs> Don't mind me. No way. I just some some summarize. You don't have to go okay. into too much Okay. No, I I will tell you the okay. story fully. <laughs> so there was this particular day I was coming back from church. We are just closed church. Like we are just closed. I was leaving our church premises and that the rain fell so heavily mm. it's it fell so heavily that it covered the road that leads to my church and opposite my church there's this big gutter like that so rain covered that gutter and i looked at the other side of where my church is i was like ah there's water here there's water here where will i pass i was like, like ah this water is too much that let me just go to the other side to pass and cross and be on my way so I crossed to the other side where the big cutter was. I was walking. I was really counting my steps. I was like, ah, let me not fall inside this gutter. Next thing I saw myself inside the gutter. <laughs> wow. Wow. From the waist down was inside water. My bag entered the water. In fact, it was so unexpected. I was like, ah, I've entered this gutter, Sha. I had to bring myself out. I didn't even go back to church to tell them that this is what happened to me. I just went home straight. So when I got home, I um, after some hours, I started feeling some pain. I just took my painkillers. I said, the pain will go. 
Chevy's leg that is paining me to go. So when the next day my siblings saw that ah this no it was even that same day in the evening they said ah, your leg is swollen no and you are in pain you need to go and you know get treatment for this thing that don't just leave this thing like that that was how we went to uh, a clinic nearby the lady there we know her she treated me gave me some drugs I went back home that week the thing got worse my legs swole up I could not believe that it was my leg mm. my legs swole up the the opening where the wound was was sore in fact it was as if you know you know how pregnant women's legs are when some of yeah. them are they have water retention yeah. that was how my leg was my my left leg so the thing wasn't getting better that week so we just had to take me to the hospital so they took me to the first hospital they had to hospitalize me that was the second time i was hospitalized in my life and it <laughs> had nothing to do with hbss it was a wound i got from falling psychota so um no i've not been hospitalized that was my first time of being hospitalized that one i went i left that day uh-huh, i didn't sleep but yeah so that was my first time of sleeping over in the hospital the other one i just spent the whole day there came back home you know and all that so this one they said ah you have to be hospitalized so that this this thing don't allow it to degenerate so they they registered me my sister said she's coming back she went home got some of my things came back settled me in my room that was how i couldn't walk well though hmm. <laughs> the sky is there now that was how i couldn't walk well because this thing was so painful it was so painful. I was limping. I couldn't put my leg, my left leg, very well on the ground. Like I was hobbling, and the pain was so intense. They had to put me on um, on painkillers and some other drugs that would aid the faster healing. The doctors used to come in every day to check me and all that. So I was like, Ah, oh God, what's what's going on? What's happening? Is this now my own share of what mm. other people are going mm, through that I'm going through? So it was getting so bad that I had to be moved from that hospital to a bigger hospital. So I was moved f- to a bigger hospital close to home. And that hospital, huh, those who they sabi work died. They are specialists there. They know how to treat different cases. So when they saw me, they knew exactly what to prescribe. They knew what to do and all that when i was settled in my room in this new hospital the, the nurses will come every morning take my vitals and then there's this um injection that they used to give me that injection they used to give it to me in my hand and that injection is so painful once they bring out the syringe from your arm you will just feel the heaviness of that injection it was so painful so i couldn't do things for myself i couldn't i couldn't get up i couldn't you know my siblings just had to rally around me they used to bring food for me you know bring things that i needed from the house and all that so there's this uh, that that injection they gave me i later knew that it was a heavy um antibiotic to combat um 
infection. and eventually of yeah having an infection it was already infected actually okay. but there was yes it was festering so they were scared that uh, letting not turn to tetanus or something so that was why they prescribed that heavy antibiotic for me and that thing was heavy because if they did not give me that thing eh, and it's not this one we're saying now so i've been a different case so i used to take that in every day and when um the time as time went on i started feeling pain heavy serious pain in the leg so they started the, the nurses had to prescribe the doctors rather had to prescribe um is it panda or panda for me is it is a painkiller so that painkiller eh, the first time they gave it to me she the, the, the nurse had left i just lay back on my bed i think i slept for like a few minutes i woke up i started having these uh, visions and blurriness by the corner of my left eye i was like ah oh god am i losing my eyesight what was going on i was so scared i didn't know what was going on i didn't even know that it was blurriness because it's they didn't tell me that it was a side effect of that injection the the painkiller injection so i couldn't see things out of the corner of my left eye after i got the um first injection of that painkiller so there's this even as i'm talking to you the blurriness is still there a bit because you know my body i don't know about others has this a uh, very slow healing process mm. it's very like a normal person that is a as a AA, if they have common cold their own can last for one to two days my own lasts for a week plus so my body is very slow in you know getting over sickness and healing and all that so I later got to know that because I was afraid. I thought I was losing my eyesight. I said, God, please, I don't want to go blind. I don't because I didn't know what was happening. Mm. I don't want to go blind. So when they came, I told them that I can't see from the corner of my left eye or that this thing has never happened to me before. I've never experienced this and that what was going on. So then I said, Oh, that's just a side effect of the painkiller that don't worry, it will go with time, maybe within a week or two. And here I am now. <laughs> a year after. Wow. A year plus. In fact, going to two years because this is December. That happened in April last year and i'm still experiencing slight blurriness it was so bad when i was in hospital and after i left the hospital that i can't see my uh, what's the name of this thing peripheral i can't see my peripheral vision so i have to turn my head unlike other times when i didn't have it i can say okay yes there's something here and there are things on top of it but ever since i got that injection i can't see out of the corner of my eye so i have to turn my head even when I, I walk on the road and i accidentally bump into somebody or i don't see something in front of me and they, they look at me but she's not blind now so how can she see this and so that's how bad the blurriness was for me so they come to clean this heart jesus they come every mm. day to <laughs> oh they come every day to clean this wound and if they don't clean it the infection will still be there and it will eat deeper into my flesh and those nurses were merciless ha <laughs> i nearly died over i saw this one angels in white <laughs> <laughs> i nearly died so they come they had they come with this they are cleaning stuff and they're not gentle they're like scrubbing this and i'm like how bad this is a wound you guys are <laughs> using like scrubbing brush to clean it <laughs> 
<laughs> do you want to kill me? They don't kill. I'll be crying, shouting at the top of my voice. I don't care who is hearing me in the hospital. I'll be begging them. In fact, they could not hold me that. I was struggling with them. I used to, I didn't used to give them my leg. I used to remove my leg. I was struggling. So there had to be somebody that will come and hold me. Hmm. Somebody has to come and hold me before they can clean that wound. So if there's nobody there, I will not allow them to clean that wound. So one of my brothers used to come and hold me so that they will be able to clean the wound. Because if not, ah, you will stay there. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you will spend time there. I will not give you this leg to clean. So there was one day. My brother said he was not coming. I said, ah, God, I'm dead. And Dino said, she's not leaving this room until she cleans this wound. I said, ha. She now, I now have to steal myself. I now have to, you know, um, how will I put it? Manage the pain. She was cleaning these things, cleaning this thing. I want to cleaning it. The cotton wool is bloody, is yellow. You know, all the infection, is, the pus is just coming out. So I was screaming, I was screaming because the thing was so painful. Imagine a part of your body being cut open and you can see, in quotes, your meat. Hmm. <laughs> you can see your meat, as in, you know, our, our skin is covering what is inside our body. So now imagine that your body is cut open, you can see your meat, you can even see your bone. You can see some tissues. That was how terrible this wound was. So imagine them cleaning, you know, an open part of your body like that. You know that part is so painful, it's so raw, it's so open, it's so sore. And they're using this cleaning um, liquids and everything to remove all the debris, all the pores and everything. It was so painful. There's no day they came to clean that wound that I'd not cry. So there was a particular day. <laughs> There was a particular day I had to go downstairs to clean the wound. So I was limping, I was hobbling throughout. That's, I, I think it was almost five months that what? I experienced. Yeah, five months of pain. So there was a day that I had to come downstairs to clean. It said, today, we're going to deep clean this wound. <laughs> so the one they've been doing was surface. <laughs> <laughs> it was just surface. It was child's play. They were playing with Ew, me. Jesus. I said, ha, I'm dead today. I said, there's no way I'll survive this thing today. Thankfully, my brother was there with me that day. And the nurses, the, the nurse that cleaned me that day, she's one of the understanding ones I had at my stay in the hospital. There were some that were not understanding at all. But this one that day, I was like, okay, this is one of the kind, good nurses here. So they opened the wound. Ha, God. <laughs> I'm telling you that this, in fact, the wound had almost reached my bone. They said, if this thing doesn't start healing, if it doesn't start closing up, you're going to need a skin transplant. <laughs> 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 it was serious, though. They would do operation on me, cut a part of my skin, use it to close the wound. I said, lie, lie. I said, lie, lie. I'm not doing any operation. Me that have not taken blood transfusion before is operation you want to do on me. When I no go see me, so they opened this wound. The thing was eating my flesh. This wound was eating my flesh, like it was eating deep right inside my leg. My bone was almost visible. They said if this wound should reach this bone, 
will have to amputate your leg. I said, ha! This is serious, so. <laughs> I said, God forbid, you will know, amputate my leg. <laughs> they said, we have to amputate because this thing is reaching your bone. Hmm. Are you not seeing what's what I see? They said, I'm seeing this, but Lila is not going to happen to me. It's okay. You have to do something fast. And we have to do it fast because this thing is eating away at you fast. So, apart from the drugs, they put me on um, honey treatment. They use honey, pour honey inside. After that's cleaning and everything, they now put honey inside, close it with bandage and all that. And I must say that honey is a very good... I'm telling you, honey and apart from prayers, honey was what healed this leg. Imagine a deep hole inside your leg. They pour honey inside. They close it. When next they open it, the bandage is soaked. They have to clean it again. Gradually, gradually. Okay, let me let me continue that story. So that day, I'm sure my brother knew that I didn't have strength like that. <laughs> 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 because the way I held him, eh, ha, I was screaming. Everybody in that hospital heard me. I was screaming. I was shouting. It was so painful. You know, a liquid. I don't know whether it's iodine or what. Being on your raw wound, I was screaming. Everybody in the waiting room outside, in their rooms upstairs, everybody was hearing me. That was how loud I was screaming. Because that thing was so painful. I was struggling with my brother. He was holding me. I was struggling <laughs> with him. Ah, I suffered though. Hmm. Five to six months, I suffered that pain. I was limping. I couldn't walk well. They cleaned it. I have never, even crisis was not as painful as that. I have never experienced pain like that. That thing was so painful. It was so tough to experience. It was even harder than experiencing the pain of Christ because you know this is an open part of your body. That was how they continued to clean it, clean it every day. Put um, honey, honey will heal it. It will come up. To bring out everything, they clean it. Uh, honey is a very powerful. It was during that my illness that I got to know that honey is a very powerful okay. um, agent for healing wounds. It heals wounds really well and should I say somewhat fast too, especially if your body is um, the, f- the the fast healing type of body. And it was the doctors that recommended it. Yes, it was the doctors okay. that recommended it. They said okay. I have to get pure honey, so I got this forever honey which they say is the purest right now. And I got a bottle of it. And that's what they were using to clean my wound every day. So that was how I stayed there for like, I think I stayed in the hospital for like two months because it wasn't really long. It was at home. It was when I came home that I stayed four months on the bed to, to fully recuperate because I wasn't back to normal so to speak i wasn't working well but i was still experiencing pain and all that so thankfully because of prayers i prayed i said god i will not be amputated or see my life what's happening i will not be amputated and i will not do operation for a skin transplant (laughs) so the nurses said if you don't do skin transplant then we have to continue this and this will take longer i said i don't mind let it take longer but people are not cutting any part of my <laughs> skin <laughs> for my leg to heal. Mm. So that was it. I came home. I stayed there like a month, a month and a half, came home and then um, healed the rest of the time at home. So I was always in bed. Everybody was helping me do everything. And uh, when I left the hospital, I started 
doing the cleaning myself because I saw how the nurses were doing yeah. it in the hospital. So to save money, I had to start doing it myself. I had everything I needed. Before I, I came home, one of the nurses that was so nice to me, I'll never forget her. I'm still going to go back to that hospital to appreciate her. So she opened my wound. She was so excited. She said, because the, the, the I don't know what to call them. Is it the consulting doctor or something? Mm-hmm. Or I don't know. Sure, I want doc- the, the, the doctors that do the rounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was there. So she said, "Hey, look at how your wound is red." She was so happy because that wound was <laughs> yellow. It was white and yellow for a long time because of the pores, because of the you know infection and everything. When she opened that one, she saw oh, this thing is red. It's healing well. I'm so happy for you. I was happy because I was like, "Ah, thank God, oh, no pressure." <laughs> No pressure, no. That was a good sign because it showed that yes, my leg is healing. It was going to be going back to normal soon. I'll soon leave this place because I was sick of lying down on the hospital bed every day. I was so bored. So each time the nurses come to my room, I'm pressing my phone. Can't you do something else? They're always pressing phone. <laughs> <laughs> Read a book, do something. Take your mind off it. There was one nurse that came to talk to me. She was like, I know what you're experiencing is not where you like to be presently. That you're finding this thing hard. I understand. But if you remove your mind from it, just focus on other things, just do other things. It will um, save you the the thinking. It will save mm-hmm. you the contemplating. It will you know, heal faster. I thanked her. I was like, okay, try to make an, a conscious effort not to be dwelling on it. Because I was really sad at that point. In fact, that stay and that illness makes me de- made me depressed. Mm. It was the first time in my life I was ever depressed. I, d- I had no interest in anything. Little things that used to interest me, I was no longer interested in them. I didn't want to see anybody. I didn't want to do anything again. I was just depressed. I was no longer happy. That situation was just making me very sad. So, and that depression took me quite a while to come out of because I was like, God, why me? So, I had to consciously get myself out of that depressed state, begin to do the things I love to do again. And, you know, that was how that incident went. Hmm. So, that's like five. <laughs> anyway. I s- <laughs> that's crazy. Sorry, just to uh, kind of buttress or add up, what we found out was the people with the condition. The veins on your feet. I don't know whether it's the veins on because part of the thing about the condition is that this this shape of the cells get locked at the joints, so blood doesn't flow. The shape of the the is it the red blood cells or the white blood cells? That's what the sickle red is. blood cells. Reco- red blood cells. The sickle cell now is the shape of this is like a C. So it's like a sickle. Like a sickle. Thank you. So they all coagulate at the joints. Yeah. So we found out that um, at that because it happened at her ankle. You found yes. out that because blood doesn't flow properly during the ankle, so they are at yes. risk of things like that. That's where this uh, uh, ulcer thing that she was talking yes, about. Yes, yes, That's yes. where it comes. So I just wanted her to point out that, look, as a someone living with a condition like that, there are risk of injuries at those joints having to, you know, go so bad. Okay, I mean, I, I just have a few questions left. I know that you've taken a lot of your time. So you already kind of answered one. Because I was going to ask you about maybe pregnancy and fear, but you kind of touched on that already. I mean, I know that you're a good Christian lady. (laughs) 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 Hallelujah. (laughs) I just wanted to ask, is there a fear of intimacy or that's not a a challenge for you? You know, I don't see it as a challenge, but there's one thing I heard and I'm concerned 
that um, when people with HVSS are intimate, they tend to have crisis afterwards or during. Hmm. So, <laughs> 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 I'm like, really? Is there no way we can win with this thing? <laughs> because it's like, what makes it, you know, come, how will I put it? What triggers it? Especially in that, you know, state of uh, mind or something. So it's, it's something that I'm like, ah, is it going to be just, how will I put it? Something that's not going to be frequent or something that's going to be happening all the time or how does it, you know, get to that level? Is it that during inti intimacy, that is it when the excitement is high or something, or it just comes because of the condition we are, you know, facing? I don't know if you get me. I, I get, I get. Uh -huh. I mean, I think it's something maybe you, I mean, you might, I'm sure you've done a lot of research um, around the condition already, but I mean, maybe it's just something to research, maybe to find out studies have yeah. been done. Is it something that happens to everybody? Exactly. Because of the excitement, whatever hormonal changes are happening, maybe it's a trigger yeah. for some people. I don't want to believe it to be for everybody. But That's what know, I wanted to even say right now. So that Maybe it's different from ev for everybody. So, But when I saw that song, I was like, wow. But I can just imagine the apprehension shot. <laughs> like, it's a possibility. You'd be like, exactly, even for the other party. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so another, another uh, question I have is, I mean, obviously, the reason why you would have you would have come with this um, condition is the fact that that means both of your parents would have been carriers. Yeah, mm -hmm. both my parents were ASAS. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, your situation is a bit um, interesting because, I mean, you mentioned it earlier. How many, how many siblings do you have? I have five siblings. You have five siblings and you're the only one. I'm the only one. That had... <laughs> so I'm just I just I just ask sometimes because obviously we all know that the um, genotype conversation is something that you need to have um with a partner to yeah, be yeah, sure yeah, that yeah, you know yeah. the person is not here so that you don't exactly. So what I'm just saying is that is there I mean I'm, sh I'm I I just want to I just need to ask cuz I'm curious maybe it happened I mean if it didn't happen that's fine but did you ever harbor any resentment to your parents? Hmm this question eh? <laughs> <laughs> well for a fact i didn't have uh, any resentment because i know that it wasn't their fault especially then when they didn't know that you know if both as come together there's a likelihood the, the of awareness wasn't as high mm -hmm. it wasn't as high as that and there was no knowledge that we have now then because if they had the knowledge, because you know, then it was not really how will I put it? We we're not really exposed to it then like that. It was not really rampant as well. So I, w I won't say I have any grudges for them. No, I, I don't because I know that it was not their fault. It was not of their own doing. It's just science. It's just biology. It's just the way things happen in the medical world so to speak so i don't have no, any i know i'm not even saying of course i don't expect you to have like grudges like i'm just saying maybe 
you know how it is, especially when you are young, you just be like, oh, maybe especially those times where you're getting bullied and everything. You just be like, oh, why did these people even make this kind of mistake? You know, that, that, so that's <laughs> what I'm asking. Like maybe in any time, even if it was a fleeting moment, did you have any reject? But I mean, if that didn't happen, that's, that's all well and good. And then I, I wanted to chastise you a bit because at the beginning, you're talking about, oh, your dad was always with you. Your dad was always with you. I'm just like, ah, what about Mopsi now? <laughs> and then also you mentioned, okay, Mopsi actually wanted mm. to chop radiation because of you. <laughs> so I was just like, ah, you can't Because I trust Mopsi's man. <laughs> they don't play. <laughs> that she was ready to say, I don't mind radiation to enter me because of my child. So anyway, I just, that, just, that was just an enlightenment point out the cultural actually we know because we said parents didn't know back then so there was this cultural i don't know as a story or phenomenon the abiku the yeah, yeah, yeah yeah so then yeah, of exactly. coming back people that they say this child keeps coming back mm. so then they probably didn't know because sickle cell is like a black man's disease so it is not exactly, like exactly it is a black man's disease so then people if you had one sickle and he died maybe at six or seven yeah or like we said it's from six to twenty yeah, yeah that's 20-ish. the high risk so yeah he died within and he had another one and he died he had another one he they will feel that is the abuku that is coming, coming back, back. yeah then when she has the as or the ss this and, this and the as or the a and he stays okay it's not the abuku yeah that's that coming back. so i just wanted to <laughs> point out that <laughs> yeah okay here's the magic okay so have you heard of um something called c C-I-R-S-P-R, CRISPR. C-I-R-S-P-R. Yeah, Why? You've never no. heard of it? No. It's like a new gene type of therapy type of thing that was that has recently been discovered. Okay. And there's a lot of talk about a lot of positive research happening and that's showing very good results for people with sickle cell. So, I don't know. Okay, it's called. They say it's a revolutionary gene editing technology that allows scientists to make precise changes to an organism's DNA, something like that. I know there's a company, like a pharmaceutical company, that recently either they launched or they're about to launch a clustered, regularly interspaced shot palindromic something repeats. Anyway, I, you've never heard of it, eh? No, I've not. But what I've heard of um, for people with this disorder is. Um, the stem cell transplant, which is equally expensive. Yeah, okay. For then they said that the because formerly when it came out newly, they said it's for only young sufferers that the older sufferers can't um, get it. But now I've seen that the older sufferers can actually get it. So even if you are in your twenties, thirties, you know, upwards, you can get it. So I think they've um, um, improved on it so that um, everybody can, you know, benefit it. But it's quite expensive. You can imagine. My normal question I always ask anybody that what's the nerdiest thing you've done? You know, this is Net Talk Nigeria. So <laughs> what is the nerdiest thing you think you've done? Mm, nerdiest thing I've done. Nerdiest thing I've done. Why didn't you give me this? But you know, you know, I can, I can actually say, I can say something. I think she has some of the nerdiest uh, status yes. and posts <laughs> that I ever see on WhatsApp and social media. Yes, very, very unusual type of, uh, uh, like, a very unusual type of um, post I see. Like, uh, the very unique type of memes. 
it's not usually like the ones that are trending everywhere. Very just, I don't like. I'm tending towards weird. <laughs> Like very weird. Yes, very I am a weirdo. Very, very, I'm just like, where is she finding all this? <laughs> like, do you belong to one secret Reddit group <laughs> that you guys are sharing this thing among yourselves? So I'm always, I'm always like, anytime she shares something, I'm just laughing. Like, where did she find this one again? <laughs> yes, my WhatsApp status is exclusive. It's not all my contacts that can see my WhatsApp status. <laughs> So if you are in that exclusive, yes. <laughs> if you are in an exclusive club, then you can be sure to enjoy my nerdy and weird statuses. So the nerdiest now, do you know I'm such a nerd that I can't. In fact, <laughs> I think the nerdiest thing I've ever done is I don't know if people will see it as as nerdy. But I rather ask or discuss deeper or bigger things than the average person. I'm not somebody that likes to do small talk. Let's talk the nitty gritty. Let's, you know, talk the deeper things. Let's trash it out. That's, I don't know whether that counts as energy, but I, I, that's, that's who I am. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so before I mean, this will be the final question. Sorry, before you okay. uh, before I remember something, before you ask the final question, I remember them in my primary school days. You know, sufferers had to be placed on certain medicines to take. So then we were placed on palodrine. You okay. have to have your regular palodrine Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> you have to have your regular folic acid as well. Okay. And sometimes when I go to the hospital for one thing or the other, the nurses and doctors said, uh, hope you've been taking your folic acid. I said, no. They said, why are you playing with yourself like this? <laughs> why are you playing with yourself like this? That you are supposed to be taking your folic acid every day. So sometimes I just remember, I was okay, let me be taking it. I go and buy, get a a bottle of it when it's finished before I buy again it's uh, how many years wait, that, that's I, so true you even brought something to my um, I just remember something do you take any supplements I remember when this drug came into existence it was very popular Jubilee have you heard of Jubilee I took Jubilee oh, okay. wow okay. <laughs> I took Jubilee in the university that was the drug I was taking and that thing was really good I don't know why they discontinued it because did they yes ah. I don't think I see I see it. I have to check though. Let me not just, you know. But it was very, very good. And it was herbs they used to do yeah. it. It was actually somebody in my hostel, I, our hostel mistress, that, um, you know, introduced me to you. She looked at me because, you know, I'm a walking billboard. <laughs> so that, but it is well. So she was like, ah, you need to be taking Jubilee. That is good. So I used to take Jubilee then. And that thing, if I, am, if I am having crisis like now and I drink that thing, it will go. I don't know what they put in that thing, but that thing they said it was herbs. I opened it, it's a capsule form. I yeah. opened it. I said, "Yes, truly, truly, this thing is herbs, but these herbs are powerful." So it really that one really worked for me. And then after Jubilee, I heard about um, Ciclavit. Ciclavit is very good too. Okay. So I take that one once in a while. It's, it's good. It does, although it doesn't. Uh, then when I don't know whether. I don't want to talk bad though, but when it came out newly, it used to prevent the crisis ahead of time. It okay. was really effective. It was really powerful. But I noticed that when I took it in recent times, like uh, two years ago, it was not as effective as how it was then. It's no longer 
you know strong like how it is how it was then rather so yeah that's that okay so my final question is i'm just curious to find out like what's your outlook like on life going forward like are you optimistic are you anticipating okay i'm going to settle down one day have kids whatever or are you of the the mind i mean whatever will be will be or are you at the other extreme so i'm just curious to know you know one thing about me is that um my brother knows this in fact (laughs) 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 some of my some people that are close to me and around me know this i'm very driven i'm dogged i don't take no for an answer when i when i you know set my mind to achieve something to do something i see it through to the end i that's the type of person i am i i don't stop until i accomplish that thing i another thing is that that has helped me is i don't know i have this unnatural strength unnatural physical strength to do things because when people see me and they know that ah this girl is a hbss sufferer they're like, ah, like, don't worry, just go and sit down. I'm like, hey, you don't know me. I can do this thing. Just go and sit down. Don't stress yourself. But really, I can do things physically. Like, if you tell me to sweep this whole place from morning to night, I will do it and I'll not be tired. I have that extraordinary, you know, physical strength that people are always in awe of when they see me do things like that. So, because of that, I don't see anything in my future that I can't accomplish. I don't see anything I myself cannot do. I don't limit myself. I don't I don't even see myself as somebody that is different from the next AS or AA person. Only because, you know, it shows on us that yes, we are like this, we are going through this. If not, I don't call myself different from other people. I don't see myself as different. So for the future, definitely yes, I'm going to get married. You will come for my wedding, don't worry. Sure. <laughs> 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 I'm guy. <laughs> so definitely, I'm going to get married, have children. I pray that go- as God has been seeing me through life from birth till now, he will see me through pregnancy because that's the only thing yeah. that scares me, you know, in my future because I'm like, ah, if healthy women are complaining like this, me, what would my own case be? So that is the only thing that, like, I can say, uh, I'm scared of, but the future is bright. The future is hopeful because now we are having, we even have um, World Sickle Cell Day. People are getting more um, knowledgeable about the disorder. They are having more information. They are, you know. Yeah. Are you like part of any patient advocacy group? Uh, no, except then when I mentioned earlier in my early days when I used to go there, I used to go there like every Saturday, but for now, no, I'm not. So, okay. since things are looking up, we have stem cell transplants, we have, you know, a day celebrating us, we have people getting more aware, um, picking the right partners with the right genotype, saying no to love. It's quite hard though, but what can we do? We can bring, you know, more of us like this into the world. So, yeah, the defi- the, definitely the future is bright from my own end. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for <laughs> sharing powerful. your story. <laughs> I, I don't, my brother knows, I don't usually yeah, talk about yeah, this I aspect of my life. Because like, it's quite... <laughs> 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 it's quite uh, private that I don't like to talk about. That I don't like... Uh, 
people dwelling on you just see me as a normal person like yeah. you don't you know so it was quite vulnerable you know exposing myself like yeah it's good all right thanks so we're, we're ended there thank you for having me yeah, <laughs> thanks.